So at this point in the church calendar, just a little bit into the church new year, we come to the collision of two feasts, so to speak. Uh, on this Sunday, we find ourselves between the uh, great feast of the Nativity of the Theotokos and the pre-feast of the Exaltation of the Cross. And it's kind of an interesting collision. Uh, you have, on the one hand, a very private moment. Uh, um, the, the birth of a young baby girl. To, it, it wasn't totally private. Her parents, uh, her mother Anna was, was, was barren. And so there was kind of a, uh, a certain public shame associated with that barrenness. And so there was also, a, uh, I, I imagine, a certain public rejoicing that went along with yeah, the blessing of God as it was, as, as it was uh, shown to her. Um, but it was still, you know, not exactly a world-shaking event. It was like a birth of a little girl. Um, uh, and then on the other hand, you have what really is a pretty world-shaking event. Uh, the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, which is coming up and it's celebrated on Wednesday, um, is celebrating the uh, discovery of the cross in one of the very first archaeological digs in history, where the, the uh, um, Empress Helen, uh, the mother of the current, at that point, the current Emperor Constantine, went down into the Holy Land to look for, you know, well, holy places. He uh, wanted to find out, you know, she was a, a devout Christian and her son was, well, trying. He's emperor, so it was difficult. Uh, didn't get baptized until his deathbed. But, uh, but, but he had already made Christianity a uh, religion that was tolerated and, and in some cases possibly even a little bit preferred already. Um, and so, the Empress Helen going down uh, to the Holy Land starts asking around about all the different places where Jesus was, where Jesus was born, where Jesus lived, uh, where, uh, how, how he died. And eventually they uncover the cross and they, 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 um, uh, the, it, it becomes a, a moment of, uh, well, imperial celebration in an empire which up until that point up until just like a few years prior had been putting all the followers of jesus christ that they could find to death or torture or at the very least uh, pretty nasty discrimination against them so it's as i say it's it's kind of an amazing collision of these two incidents one very private and one amazingly public. How did this happen? How did this come about? Because it is clear that, uh, and, and I would say the, the reason it comes about is that it is clear from the very beginning of Jesus' teachings that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the teachings of Jesus Christ, the way of life that Jesus Christ taught his, Apollo, his followers to follow was for everyone, is for everyone, is for the whole world. And we see that in, uh, particularly in the gospel reading that we just heard from the Gospel of John. 
you might have heard one of those verses before. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, one of the first verses I memorized as a young Protestant Christian. Uh, it's, you can see it all, see references to it and banners on football games. And it's, it's all over the place. And it's a great verse. It's all over the place in our liturgy as well. It's, it's like said at the, in the, the, at the heart of the anaphora in every liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. That verse is quoted. Uh, it's, it's a great verse. Uh, but it, it's, it might be worth sort of diving in a little bit more to, to kind of unpack what does it mean? What does it mean, this, this, this notion of being born again? Now, that part we didn't hear in this particular little snippet that we, that we read, but let's back up and, and take a look. Jesus, in this, the, this particular little portion of the scriptures, comes from the meeting of Jesus with Nicodemus at night. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a respectable man. Uh, he really couldn't afford at this point to compromise his respectability. Uh, and so he, he kind of sneaks in at nighttime and sits down and starts talking with Jesus because he's interested. You know, he, he comes to him and he says, Rabbi, that is teacher, uh, we know that you are a teacher from come from God. Not not everybody knew that, <laughs> but but at least at least Nicodemus recognizes it, right? Um, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Uh, the um, uh, so Jesus was already well established as uh, a, a worker of miracles at this point. Um, it's interesting here that it, this kind of assumes the uh, so-called synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, uh, and, and, and Luke. Because um, at, at this point in the gospel of John, I think Jesus has done one miracle, uh, <laughs> turning the water into wine. But, uh, but, but, but Nicodemus knows, and, and it's very obvious from the other gospels, that Jesus has already done a whole bunch of miracles. And, and they're miracles of the sort that you could really only do if God was with him. So he must be a teacher. Jesus, he, he concludes, Jesus must be a teacher come from God. So that's why he's here. That's why he's here to, sneaking in at night to, to, to listen to him, to, to kind of consult with him. And Jesus answers and says to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus has a great follow-up question. <laughs> hmm. uh, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, good question, a fairly naturalistic question, I suppose. But, uh, but, but you know, uh, what, how is this supposed to work? Is 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 the essence of, of Nicodemus' question? And um, Jesus answers and says, "Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot." enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus, of course, has come and his teaching has said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God was what the Israelites were anticipating. They were anticipating that God would come and begin a reign here on earth that would fix things because everybody knew things needed fixing. So how is this supposed to work? Uh, and, and, and Jesus is saying, well, 
can't actually enter this kingdom unless you're born again. As I say, Nicodemus is confused. Born? How, what, what do you mean? What, what, how does this work? And so Jesus' answer uh, is that you can't, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, you can't, cannot enter the kingdom of God. And the context for this, within the larger tradition, uh, actually clarifies it, I think, pretty clearly. Uh, if you recall, uh, in Acts chapter 2, when uh, Peter is giving that very first sermon on the day of Pentecost, what does he say to the people as they, as they are cut to the heart and realize they've, they've crucified the Lord of glory? They've crucified the Messiah. Uh, and, and so they're, they're, they're all like uh, saying to Peter when, when they heard this, uh, um, what, 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 what should we do? And Peter says to them, repent and let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Christian understanding from, of Jesus' words from the very beginning about being born again is that you get baptized, that's the water part, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the spirit part. Because the understanding of this way is that this is the, the assembly of the people of God. We want all the people of God to be together, to be united, to be following the same person, the same person's teaching. And how does that happen? Well, in the, in the, in the um, Jewish tradition, if you wanted to become a Jew, the first thing you had to do if you were a Gentile was take a bath, get, get washed, uh, and, and thus actually get baptized. John then takes that and says, okay, the Messiah is coming. We need to all get ready. So all of you now need to get baptized, which is a bit controversial because all the Israelites are saying, well, wait a second, we're clean already. We're, we're Israelites. But John is saying, no, no, you have to actually get baptized. And when Jesus comes, he likewise baptizes all of his followers, or rather he gets his disciples to baptize all of his followers. Um, this was the understanding of how to prepare. You need to prepare yourself. And this gets at the heart of what what we just heard Jesus telling Nicodemus in that selection that I'm going to jump down to now. He says, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who came down, who came down from heaven. That is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. So he's just, he's just actually said to Jesus, You know, I'm, I've just told you about earthly things and you don't believe. How will you believe if I tell you about, about heavenly things? Because Nicodemus is asking, well, how, how, how does this work? How can this be? How can we receive the Holy Spirit? Uh, you're, you're, you're not listening. <laughs> no, no one's come down. Um, no one has ascended to heaven except he who came from heaven, which would, of course, be Jesus. Um, 
that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now here, he's speaking to Nicodemus. He's a Jew. He knows all the Old Testament stories. Because uh, for him, it's not the Old Testament. That's just the scripture. That's the, those, are the, those are the stories. Uh, and so he knows the story that Jesus is referring to. This is one of those stories that we were kind of, uh, that I kind of alluded to last, last, uh, was last Sunday when we were talking about Moses and the children of Israel going through the wilderness, right? And that they're always complaining. And at this point, uh, at, at, the, at the point where this story happens, they're going around the kingdom of Edom so that they don't have to get involved in, in any battles right now, right then. But it was taking a long time and the children of Israel start to complain again. And this is one of those times when they actually say, look, uh, say again to Moses, why did you bring us out into the wilderness to die? You know, we, we, we don't have water and we're sick of this food. That to me has got to be the worst thing ever. <laughs> this food, the food they're referring to is the manna that God has sent from heaven every single day to feed them. And yeah, I guess, you know, you eat the same thing day after day and you get, get a little tired of it. But where's the thanksgiving where's the gratitude where's the you know like we're not we're actually not starving because of the grace of god it's gone uh, and and so god sends uh god's angry with them and as as is uh, as he does is because he's trying to teach this, the people he sends snakes in amongst them and the snakes start biting them and people when they bite get bitten by these snakes fall ill and die and they're starting to die off uh, from all these snakes. And of course, then they're like, oh no, we did it again. Sorry, Moses, please help. Uh, and Moses uh, uh, raises up this bronze serpent on a staff. Because God has said that anyone who looks upon the serpent that's raised up in the midst of the camp on this, uh, on this large pole, uh, all you have to do is look at it and you'll be healed. And so they do, which actually, I think it's kind of, uh, you know, this is not simply God taking away the snakes. The problem is still there, uh, but he is providing a solution to the problem, uh, one that is actually healing. And so Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is asking, how is this going to happen? How is this going to work? And Jesus says, well, just as Moses lifted up the, son, the, the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. This is obviously a prediction of his death on the cross. He's going to be lifted up. And as, um, uh, just as um, you know, the ones who looked, on, looked with faith on the serpent were healed, so those who look to Jesus with faith uh, in that position, crucified on the cross, will be healed. You see, the, the key here, and this is the reason that Christianity swept the Roman Empire. This is the reason that Christianity is for everyone. Is that we're all messed up. We are ungrateful wretches. We're We've been given this amazing gift of life. And what are we going around doing with it? We're being selfish jerks. 
And, and that, that's, I mean, if, if, you, if we just take a moment to step back and look at ourselves at pretty much any moment in time, uh, but particularly, you know, those moments when we're annoyed or frustrated or whatever else, uh, you can actually start to see this. You can start to see that we're being ungrateful. And we're not thinking about, you know, the gift of God, that is life and breath and health. And, 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 and family and whatever else, uh, whatever other blessings that we are experiencing at the time. You know, there might be some that we're not experiencing. There might be some that, we're taking, that, that have been taken away from us. But there's still the gift of life. And are we giving thanks to God for it? Well, no, we're not. And that's precisely what is making us sick, what is breaking us. Now, and the thing about this is that this gospel it's not a political agenda. It's not going to align with your politics. Because it's not about that. It's about something much more basic, much more fundamental that we need. We need to be thankful. We need to be brought back into a relationship with God that is life-giving, not destructive. And, and so we are called by Christ to look on him crucified. Why? Because he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If there is any moment in time at which the judgment of God should have been poured out in flames and destruction upon the whole world, it was that moment on, when Jesus was hanging in agony on the cross. He was unjustly condemned to death. He was unjustly crucified. He, this was the most egregious, horrible product of our brokenness, of our selfishness, and of our sin that could be imagined. And yet, that horrible, tragic, evil moment becomes the vehicle of our salvation. Because it is through that that God reveals his love for us, the depth and the height, and the riches, and the amazing, incomprehensible measure of his love for us. That even in our ingratitude, even in our brokenness, he, even in it, manifested in that horrible, horrible tableau. He loves us. The whole reason he sent Christ to die was to manifest the depth of his love for us. So that he sent his son so that we could look to him, understand that there is nothing that we can do so long as we repent and look to him, that God will not forgive in his mercy, in his love, in his compassion. 
There's nothing that we can do that's worse than that. And in that, Christ unites himself in his assumed humanity to our death, to our experience of death, that he might then unite us as his brothers and sisters, as those who are connecting ourselves to him in repentance and in love. We are connecting ourselves to him ultimately in his resurrection. In the life that God actually prepared for us from the beginning, that eternal life, that life that God wants us to have, a life that is completely dependent upon him for its source. Because our life is completely dependent on him for its source. And as we live in that life, it is eternal. It does not end. Because God is eternal. And that's who we are connected to through Christ. In this amazing act of agape, self-sacrificial love. And this is the way. It's really pretty much that simple. We recognize our brokenness. We unite ourselves to Christ. As we are baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then we live the rest of our life in Eucharistia, in thanksgiving to God, connected to Him, and receiving healing from Him. Because, you know, the problem's still out there. Those snakes are still out there biting us. We still need to look to Christ, lifted up on the cross, realizing that He has united Himself to us in our suffering, in our death, that this, again, is a manifestation of the grace of God in whatever it is that we're going through. But it changes everything. And it has the potential to change everyone in the whole world. And that's precisely what we see. That's what happened. This message went from the complete, more or less completely unknown birth of a young girl who simply said yes to God to the conversion of the greatest empire that the world knew at that point in its history. It happened before. By God's grace, it can happen again. If it doesn't happen by God's grace, that doesn't change the underlying reality. This is what we need. We need Christ. We need forgiveness. We need God. Because he is the source of our life. And he is the one to whom we give thanksgiving, honor, and glory. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now and ever into ages of ages.